Holy Spirit, may you awaken our hearts to receive your gospel. And through its preaching, may we be encouraged and prodded more into the lively faith that you plant in your redeemed community. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who with you and the Father lives and reigns forever. Amen. You may be seated. It was a number of years ago that a woman named Dorothy Fletcher, who was from Liverpool, England, uh, was on a flight across the Atlantic Ocean to Florida. She was wanting to attend her daughter's wedding there. And Miss Fletcher had a heart attack in the flights when it was over stretches of water. The flight attendant, who was obviously very distraught and wanting to see to this issue, called aloud throughout the cabin for a doctor. And immediately, 15 cardiologists left their seat to come and see if they could help. It just so happened that they were all on a flight to a conference in South Florida on heart disease. So she made it. Uh, she, she was okay. They sought her in need. She made it to her daughter's wedding. It was a horrific moment. But it turned out she was in good hands. She went through a difficult time, but she endured it because of who was with her in that moment. It's in this, our gospel passage for today that Richard Meyer led into last week and in his sermon. He noted the calling of the disciples and Jesus releasing them to go and preach the kingdom, heal diseases, to proclaim the kingdom of God to whomever they would meet. Um, And Jesus continues this, uh, but lets them know that hard times are coming. And yet he also says, as you go through the midst of those trials, when you are about proclaiming and communicating the gospel to those around you, you endure them with hope in Jesus himself. So both of these elements, the hard times and the hope, are present in our gospel passage. And through that, we might find full confidence in Christ for all the hard times of life as we proclaim his kingdom in word and in deed. So we'll pick up both of those items and taking them in turn. First of all, we see an ugly reality that Jesus puts before us. Uh, Jesus goes from talking about the the implications of their travel and their itinerary and what they should do in each town. Then he says, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Well, that's a wake-up call. You think he had their attention uh, at that point? Uh, But but his followers needed to see Then and now, what they're getting into. He's saying, be wary, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Be where your feet are. And that's because there is a hostility, Jesus says, that will brace itself up in opposition to anything that has to do 
with the kingdom of heaven. He has told them to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, verses 6 and 7, which Richard dealt with last week. Proclaim as you go, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But Jesus says, not everybody is going to want to encounter that kingdom. You're going out among rebels. You're going into trouble. Uh, and, and we might encounter this today as well. Uh, it's it, what Jesus is getting at. It was he's implying is the gospel is going to do plenty of offending on its own. It doesn't need us adding to it with our tone or or uh, or anything else. But it's a hostility that is brutal, and it can be directed against Christ and His followers, where people realize that the king the that. They do not find their satisfaction through their personal proclivities, their enjoyments, whatever they want to do. But when they are told that we bow before a king who created and rules this universe, and he speaks truth into our lives, exposing our sins and our shortcomings, there are people who don't like to hear that. Because there's an edge to that for them. So the, the reality is, there is a pushback. There, 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 is, there is a brutal opposition to the kingdom of heaven because that comes from a saving encounter with the king himself. And what Jesus says is, this will exhibit itself in many ways. What the disciples then could expect is to be accused, to be assaulted, to be arraigned in court, um, he, he, he says, you'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake. He says, beware of them because they will deliver you over to courts, flog you in their synagogues. This means, he says, you can expect opposition from within your own faith tribe at times. So be ready for it. Sometimes we think the opposition comes from society, the world, whatever you want to say, but no, it can come from within church walls as well. And it gets worse, he says in verse 21, brother will deliver brother over to death and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death and you will be hated by all. For my name's sake. That's cold. To know that people closest to you would be so brutally opposed to the kingdom of heaven. We see this today in places like Uzbekistan, where if a Muslim converts to Christianity, that members, uh, the remaining members of their family will think that something has gone wrong with them and they will report their newly converted Christian relative to the state psychiatric institution and have them institutionalized. Because they will be viewed as crazy. And there will be nothing, in many cases, to protect the new Christian from this. Families... Divided. Sometimes it can even bring about one's death. 1981, Chet Bitterman was a Wycliffe Bible translator in Colombia, South America. 
uh, and uh, and he and his wife were going to to go into and and inhabit uh, local tribes. And while there might have been some opposition in the tribes, the more brutal issue was the drug cartels that were very uh, much against uh, the Wycliffe folks moving in. And one day, Chet Bitterman penned these words. I find the recurring thought that perhaps God will call me to be martyred for him in his service in Colombia. And he followed that with the words, I am willing. And that was fulfilled because he was killed by a cartel soon after that. Now, it may not be that abject for a number of us. We might think, well, we live in a nation of civil liberties. Yes. But some of us might bear some of the inner wounds of coming out of a family that might have uh, not uh, had allegiance to Jesus Christ, and you, by placing your faith in Jesus, have borne the marks of that division, might be viewed as an outcast. And if you don't, then you probably know someone who has. And it's not easy. And so, as we pull this into ourselves, I think Jesus raises both challenge and courage for us. Because the challenge comes with, as he sets it out here, it might be very easy for disciples then and disciples now, uh, in the previous part of the chapter, to think, oh, you go out. You proclaim the kingdom, you communicate the gospel, it does its own reproducing, and everything's great. It's hunky-dory. Well, following Jesus is not the paint-by-numbers page that some people might envision. Does God love you and have a wonderful plan for your life? Yes. You know how that plan goes? Like this. And that's on a good day. There can be anguish. There can be opposition. Being a follower of Jesus might often look like for you and me, ah, what's next, Lord? We say, I'm tearing my hair out. And Jesus says, well, this is what it looks like. Take the next step. And we say, mm, that's rough. But okay, one foot in front of the other, going into the headwinds of life as we seek to be faithful to Christ. That's not glamorous. But Jesus doesn't want your glamour, he wants your fidelity and mine. But also, there's this bracing courage uh, here. Isn't it good of Jesus that he lets us know this is coming? He doesn't hide it from us. So that when it comes, it's almost like he says, I want you to be ready. I don't want you to be ignorant of this. This is not a stroll through the gardens at Buckingham Palace. This is not an amusement park. This is not sitting on a beach in Tahiti thinking about your stock portfolio growing by leaps and bounds. But at least we know that going into this. And if Jesus is willing to be honest with us about the road of faith, and especially as we are participating in the communication of the gospel, which can bring opposition. If he's honest about that, then I would say he's the type of Savior that we can trust as we walk this road of faith. And that leads into the Lord God as our ultimate hope in the midst of this ugly reality. 
And, and as I was looking through this passage, there, there was a little undercurrent of familiarity, and I couldn't put my finger on it. And then I started to think, it's almost like Jesus is answering some implied questions. And then, of course, I'm diving back into my brain, going into my mind palace, as you know, uh, my, my son likes to say. And I'm trying to think, where, where have I felt these questions before? Well, every year, I'm convinced, in, in teaching, as I finally nailed this down, uh, students coming into a classroom, have three major questions of their teachers. And they may not even know that they're asking these questions, but they're there. And these are the questions. Do you love me? Am I safe with you? And how will you teach me? There's a lot of other questions, but those are common at the beginning of every year. Like I said, they don't know they're asking that. And I find it interesting because here, these questions are present with us during our hard times as we seek to be faithful in the proclamation of the kingdom of heaven on our road of faith. Even more so, how the triune God, as Jesus lays out here in this passage, brings clarity to our inquiries. And we're actually going to go in reverse from the end of the passage back uh, towards the beginning so to find these, Jesus shows that, through what he communicates to his disciples, that we have, then and now, hope in the Father's love. Verse 29, Jesus poses the question, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? I mean, if you can get two birds for a penny, those birds are pretty cheap. Probably not looked upon as worth much in the eyes of the world. And yet he says and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father. God watches over sheep, sparrows, and then he moves in. He says, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. God knows that total. So he says, fear not, verse 31, you are of more value than many sparrows. So if you think about the attention God gives to cheap birds, and you are of more value than they are, Jesus is saying, think about how when all the rough waters you go through, as Jesus' follower, as a kingdom proclaimer in word and in deed, the Father loves and treasures you. And that may not be, you know, something that you always recall to mind when you wake up every morning, but it gives some perspective, doesn't it? Worse than going through hard times is being forsaken during hard times, and at least you have the Father's presence and treasuring love with you, even if you struggle to grasp how. He will not forsake us. And Jesus says that we have hope in the provision of Christ. This is verses 26 through 28. Jesus gives the same perspective here. He says, I want you to, to be grounded, to be humble in the fact that you should have no fear of these attacks. Now, he's not saying literally never have a whisper of anxiety at all uh, because those are real threats, but he says 
Be sure. He says, uh, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But fear, have reverence for, have full allegiance for, have devotion to the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Your ultimate devotion and your ultimate protection is in Christ himself. And so because of that, verse 27 is true. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetop. We can tell the truth plainly and forthrightly. It doesn't need our manipulation. It just needs us to be conduits of God's kingdom message. Because whatever happens, nothing can separate you from your Lord, your Savior, and your brother. Jesus is saying, I've got you. There's no need to be anxious about the end game. However that looks is how it looks, and that changes for individuals. But it does not let go of Jesus' protection of his children. And there is also the matter, as we bring, we said this is the, the work of the triune God, we have the work of the Holy Spirit in his provision. Jesus sends them out to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, and he says, trouble is coming. We kind of reviewed this a little bit. The disciples will be uh, interrogated. They will be flogged. Uh, They're going to have to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. And so when they deliver you over, this uh, Jesus is presenting a court scenario, which as time would go on, the night before his death, he's going to know plenty about, as he is questioned by the ruling council. And he says these words, Do not be anxious, verse 19, how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given you in that hour. That's a pretty penetrating thing to us who, do, who always like to be in control and who always like to know exactly what we're going to say in every scenario, and we can play out how people are going to respond and how we're going to respond to that, and then we get there and everything blows up, and it's never like we think. But we can often act, I I think what Jesus is getting at here, is that kingdom labor, we think, can often depend on us. And the persuasiveness of the kingdom and the persuasiveness of the gospel has to come from within us. We contribute to that somehow. But he says, no. The Holy Spirit is going to give you, he is going to tap you for what you're going to say in the moment. And you can trust the Holy Spirit for his provision for what we say. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, the... Welsh uh, preacher of the 20th century and minister for many years at Westminster Chapel in London. He was very fond of a particular story, and uh, I don't know how true true this is, but uh, it kind of came down through the ages of a a young girl, uh, probably a teenage girl in Scotland, and she was a covenanter. Covenanters were those who believed in exclusive psalm singing, um, and, and uh, more Presbyterian government. And, and so the king, the, the government, uh, did not like this, and covenanter services were outlawed. 
uh, in Scotland. And so anyone who would go to, uh, to, to those uh, services would be hauled in uh, to prison. Well, she was going alone to one particular service one Sunday afternoon, turned a corner in town, and there saw a posse of the king's soldiers there. And so she knew she was dead to rights, and they asked her where she was going. What did the Holy Spirit give her to say in that moment? Well, she heard these words spilling out of her own mouth. When they asked, where are you going? She said, well, my elder brother has died. And they are going to read his will this afternoon. And he has done something for and has left something for me, and I want to hear them read the will. And they let her go on. For the Spirit of the Father will give you what to say in that hour. How radically we need to depend upon the Spirit's provision and be willing to get out of the way. That is our ultimate hope. So yes, hard times are there, but we are held fast by our triune God. The ugly reality of what Jesus speaks of as we are proclaimers of the kingdom is met by our hope in a saving king. Uh, John Bunyan, the, uh, who uh, wrote the classic t- uh, tale, the allegory of the Pilgrim's Progress years ago, there is this one particular scene where, where the traveler Christian is approaching a juncture on his journey, the palace beautiful. And as he's approaching the palace, there's a narrow path. Uh, all he has to do is go up there to the palace. But as he, he's going down that path, before he gets to the gate, he sees that there are two lions there on either side of the path. And he's paralyzed by fear. He does not want to go on. He's wondering, how in the world am I going to get there? They're going to just uh, rip me to ribbons. And all of a sudden, the porter calls out from the gate. He, he says, excuse me there. You don't need to fear the lions, for look, they are chained. And so Christian knew that there was only so far that he could go into the path, he could go up there safely because there were restraints on all that would rise up against him. Jesus has his chains upon a world that is hostile to him. And what else does this table demonstrate us to us than the, the lengths he is willing to go for us, for our provision, for our protection, through his love? Because the date of Satan's demise is marked on Christ's schedule with bright and unfading colors. So in the reality of our difficulties as kingdom proclaimers, may we continue to find our ultimate hope in Jesus. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you have called us to walk in faith. And the surface of that road can be difficult as we face hostility. But we do so placing our hope in you, our most merciful Redeemer, friend, and elder brother. Grant that we might see you more clearly, 
love you more dearly and follow you more nearly day by day for your sake. Amen.